that our hope is in you. Our hope and trust is in what you have done. And not what's happening around us. And Lord, as we go from this place as well, pray that we would bring peace to the world that so desperately needs it. And Lord, as we look out and we see a world's grasping for some kind of control, that we would be that voice, that we would be that peace that reminds them of what your promises are. So Lord, we do pray for our communities, our families, our country, our world. We pray for health and all those practical things that we need every day. But more so, Lord, I just pray for the hearts. And we pray for those that are lost. And Lord, we pray for those that know you and have salvation, but that need to desperately turn back to you. I pray that our hope would rest in you. And Lord, this morning, that we would hear from your word the message that we need to bring to the world as well. In your name, amen. Good morning. So today is going to be our last message on Galatians. Um, but before we jump into that, with, uh, with everything going on, um, there's a verse that's been on my mind for months with just different situations. And I thought it, it kind of it applied well to our thing, the situation with everything going around the world. And uh, this is from Psalm 112. It's two verses. Uh, it's 112, verse 6 and 7, which reads this. For the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And that has just kind of stuck with me with different situations that uh, the righteous person is not afraid of bad news because his heart is firm, trusting the Lord. Not that bad news won't come. Not that precautions should be taken and wisdom should be used but that his heart can be firm, trusting in the Lord, that there is a God who is sovereign, who rules, who is in control. Now, transitioning from there, who is excited for the last message in Galatians? Okay, okay. Is, is anyone else sad outside of me? Is anyone get kind of weepy, like, hey, this or what's the word? Nostalgic. Anyone get kind of nostalgic? But... Yes, was, that's what I was thinking. Sorry. No, no, that's good. I, I appreciate the honesty. I always do. But no, it's I am excited. We're ending Galatians uh, with the, the last part, the conclusion of the whole entire letter. And we will see Paul just, he, he doesn't bring anything new into his conclusion. He highlights five important things doing his conclusion. But before we do this, and I want you to, to be, know why we're doing this. We're going to read through the whole letter today. We're going to read through the whole letter. And the reason why is multiple reasons. Number one is because the meaning of a text is largely construed 
Is that the right, the right word? Okay. She's saying yes, it is. Um, from the context. And so if we're especially a book that's readable in one sitting like the Galatians, if we read through it, it, it puts it all together and we can better understand what's going on. So that's one reason. A second reason why we're going to do this is because that's exactly how this letter would have been read to the congregations in Galatia. The person who brought it would have stood before everyone and read it out loud. And so what we're going to do today is exactly that. Um, I think of Second uh, Timothy as well, that this is, uh, in Second Timothy where Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why we're going through this. And so, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians. If you don't, um, in the front of your pew will be a Bible there, and it's going to be page 913. So if you don't have your Bibles, please grab the, the Bible in front of you. It's page 913 is where Galatians start. Now, if you're willing, please stand as we read this. If you're unable to, no worries, sit down. If you have to sit down in the midst of it, no worries, sit down, because I know kids and all that. So please stand with me if you can. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm smiling here because I did time myself how long this takes. But hear now the words of the living God to you. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we were an angel from heaven to preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life of Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in whom, in what I'm writing before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who see the influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because the false brothers simply brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he, who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also for me, for mine, to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ and not... I'm sorry, believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I were built by tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he 
who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the rest of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed, them, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or asks it once it has been ratified. Now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. 
But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you desire to go to the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O bear one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one that has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand Firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to everyone, every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who insult you would emasculate themselves. For you are called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, they will, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of good good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are the, of the household of faith. And in our passage today. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, but which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for bear my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All right, take a seat. So that was just a few minutes, right? But can you imagine, and this is a personal letter to us in the sense of God speaking to us. But can you imagine hearing that from the man who started the church, Paul. The man who did, the man who has led a lot of the people that were listening to Christ say all those things. Like, I am amazed that you've turned so quickly. Did I run in vain? I am perplexed about you. Can you imagine hearing that from this man? It just like... Ouch, like this hurts. But as I mentioned, in our 
the ending here, his conclusion, he highlights five points. He doesn't really add anything new. He hits five points. He highlights from this whole section five points. And I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff through this letter. We've covered things like the gospel, false gospel, salvation from God alone, how the gospel affects how we live. Uh, we've covered things such as justification by faith, legalism, the law, obedience, freedom in Christ, walking by the Spirit, unity, false teaching, perseverance in the faith, and a host of other things. We covered a lot in this in this letter, or Paul, I should say, covers a lot. But he highlights five main things in this letter, and that's what we're going to cover. Let me say, the main idea of this, this conclusion is this. It's the gospel, which is no surprise, and that's what Paul's been teaching on. And if you have listened, as you heard, the cross of Christ is repeated. The cross of Christ. So here we go. First highlight that Paul gives us is the importance of, in the urgency of this message. Verse 11. Paul writes this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So that, that might not seem like much. But Paul normally dictated his letters to a scribe who would write it. So Paul would speak it and the scribe would be writing it down as he talked. But it was common for Paul to write the ending. The salutation, the ending of the letter. It was common for him to write in his own handwriting. What's interesting, he says, in these large letters... And so kind of like in English, right? We have like capital letters and small lowercase letters. In, in the original language he wrote in Greek, um, there's the typical cursive letters that was very quick. And so that's what scribes typically wrote in is because it was smaller. It took up less room because uh, parchment was a little far more or less common than it was now. We can just write anything. But it was very, uh, it was a commodity, if that's the right word. People would actually like overwrite on things because they had, didn't have that much parchment. But the point being is this. Paul emphasized this. He said, I write it in the big letters. He emphasizes the importance, the urgency. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And at what is at stake? Your salvation is at stake. Your children's salvation is at stake. Your church family's salvation is at stake. Your community's salvation is at stake. Your friend's salvation is at stake. That's why Paul says, I write in these big letters, because we're talking about the gospel. And there's false teachers who are misleading you, and this is urgent. So Paul highlights the urgency of this, the message that's needed. So that's the first highlight. The second highlight is this. Paul highlights the false teachers, or those, as he, as he describes here, those that avoid the cross of Christ. Look at 12 with me. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's talking about the false teachers here. And only, he tells us the reason why, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're avoiding the cross. Why? Because those who proclaim the cross are persecuted, such as with Paul here. He's persecuted. As we read everywhere in Acts, he is beaten. He goes through, literally, through hell on earth because of what he preaches. And Paul says, those false teachers, they avoid the cross, so they're not persecuted. He begins, he says, they make a good showing in the flesh who want to, to force circumcision on you. And if you and one of the reasons that we read through it is because you could hear that. You can hear that echoed back in chapter um, 4 where Paul says, they make much of you but for no good purpose 
They want to shut you out for that you, for that you may make much of them. It's an echo of Paris said before. It's for pride that they're doing this. They're forcing legalism on you because they get pride from it. But on top of that, they're cowards. They're cowards. They're avoiding the cross because they don't want to be persecuted. And so there's this description of the false teacher that Paul hits, and he's not very nice about it. They're prideful, and they're cowards. And then he adds another to this list, verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They're hypocrites, he says. They're prideful, they're cowards, and they're hypocrites. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what a list. Paul describes the false teachers. They're prideful, they're cowards, and they're hypocrites. They throw all this on your backs, this misleading, this misteaching, just for their own sake, for their own pride. So that's the second highlight, Paul says. The false teachers, the evil of the false teachers, those who avoid the cross because they're prideful, because they're cowards, and because they're hypocrites. So the first highlight is the urgency of this message of the gospel. The second one is the false teachers. They're prideful, they're, they're, they're arrogant, they're cowards, and they're hypocrites. And then Paul contrasts that, this third highlight, with the gift of God's grace to the cross of Christ. The gift of God's grace through the cross of Christ. Verse 14. But far be it from me. And this is a a very strong language. Far be it. May it never be. To boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But which the world had been crucified to me and I to the world. And so in contrast to the false teachers. Who are throwing this legalism. Hey you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law in order to be saved and to continue to be saved. And they're only doing this in order to boast in your flesh, Paul says. In contrast to them, Paul says, far be it from me that would boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's nothing else that can give us forgiveness. There's nothing else that can make us right with God. There's nothing else that can... Bring us to adoption to God's family. There's nothing else. And he takes on there in verse 14, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And just from reading the letter, you might hear an echo from, I believe, chapter 3, when Paul says very similar language, or maybe chapter 2. Someone correct me. Chapter 2, thank you. I don't know if anyone correct me. But yes, I was wrong. Chapter 2. We hear that echo. This is things Paul has been saying this whole time. He says... He's free from the bondage of the world through the cross of Christ. From its sin, from its hopelessness, from its futility, from its frustrations. Verse 15, he continues on why he boasts in the cross. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And you can hear an echo. He literally almost said the same thing back in chapter 4. He says, for in Christ Jesus... Neither circum- this is chapter 4, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, chapter 5, verse 6. Oh my goodness, here I go. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So Paul highlights this again. Nothing except through faith. Nothing except for this new creation. Nothing but the gift of God. Just as with creation, it was all a work of God. 
Our salvation is all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. And that always reminds me of um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but the gift of God, so that no one may boast. And I, I, I forgot the last phrase. But we see it's all by grace. Verse 16, he adds, And as for all who walk by this rule, by faith, that he's been talking about here, Peace and mercy be upon them, because that's the only way. The cross of Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, is the only way we can have peace and we can have mercy. And upon the Israel of God, and that might seem odd, but if you remember back in chapter 4, Paul is explaining to the Galatians that it's always been by faith. And the sons of Abraham, he says, if you remember, are those of faith are the sons of faith. So he's equating, again, the, the saved community, those that have faith in Christ. So he highlights the urgency of this message. He highlights the, the hypocrisy, the, the evil of the false teachers. Then he highlights the gift of God's grace in the cross of Christ. And then his fourth highlight here, verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, he says. And the question is, okay, so how, so Paul's saying, stop causing me trouble. So how have they been causing him trouble? Well, if you recall, they're turning to a false gospel. That's the whole reason Paul is writing this. He says in chapter 4 that he's afraid that he might have labored in vain. He goes on that he feels that, he, he, he feels that they have made him out as an enemy. He is troubled by this. He says in chapter 4, verse 19, that he is in anguish, like the anguish of childbirth for them. And then he says that he's perplexed. He's troubled. They're causing him a lot of trouble because they're turning to a false gospel. So he calls them to stop. Stop turning to false gospels. But persevere in the true gospel. This past week, uh, I learned one of my friends from Oak Hills and this was a, a guy who went through like the pastoral program as well. Um, he officially renounced his faith in Christ. On Facebook, I, I contacted him, but he officially, yep, I don't believe any of that anymore. Last month, I know some other people I graduated Oak Hills with who renounced their faith in Christ. My older sister, as, as I've shared a couple years ago, I renounced her faith in Christ. So this isn't some far-reaching thing or way out there on the outskirts. This is everywhere. And Paul is saying, persevere. Yes, rest, rest in the security we have in Christ. Rest. But take these warnings seriously, Paul says. Persevere. Lead your family to persevere in the faith. Persevere. That brings us to the fifth highlight. So the urgency, the first highlight, the urgency of this message of the gospel. Number two, the false teachers. They're prideful, they're cowards, and they're hypocrites. Then Paul says, in contrast, Paul talks about himself boasting only in the cross of Christ. God's gift of grace in the cross of Christ. And that fourth one is a call to persevere again. And the fifth one here is the very last verse. Verse 18. The grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen.
he ends with the defining theme throughout Galatians. Grace. Grace. Salvation is by grace alone. Not works. Not the law, Paul has been saying. Not circumcision. Not of any effort by man. But by grace. But by grace. But by grace. And that's what he's been saying throughout all of this letter to the Galatians. And I've been saying this throughout our time in Galatians, right? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Say it with me, ready? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's exactly what Paul's been saying. Our salvation is by grace alone, not works. It's through faith alone, not works. In Christ alone, and not anyone else, nor any other thing. And he's nailing that over and over and over, and he ends here. May grace be with you. Grace, the defining factor here. And I'm glad that we started with Galatians because it is such a, a, a foundation of the gospel, how we are saved. It gives us a foundation for moving ahead and it compels us. It compels us to worship God because by grace alone am I saved, by grace alone you are saved. It compels us to preach the gospel to our families at home. It compels us to share the gospel at work, at school, because it's by grace alone. So those are the five highlights. Paul ends with this letter. Number one, this is urgent and this is vital. The message of salvation. Number two, the false teachers avoid the cross. They're prideful, they're cowards, and they're hypocrites. Number three, God's gift of grace through the cross of Christ alone. Number four, God through Paul calls us to persevere in this true gospel. And number five, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let's end. Let me Give me a few minutes here. Let me end this series in Galatians and kind of bring it home. The message is urgent. Life is short. And we're not promised tomorrow. And we have that sense right now with everything going on. We're not promised tomorrow. This message is urgent and it is vital. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns. And he is Lord. And we can be declared righteous before God only through faith and not by works. We can receive peace with God, forgiveness only through faith. The fathers, I'm speaking to myself as well, Preach God's word. Preach the gospel at home. Our children's salvation is dependent on us preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel at home. It is our duty. It is our responsibility. And it is urgent, Paul says. This is vital. And pray. Pray for your kids, for your family, for lost family members, for our coworkers, for our friends, and pray. And if you are trusting in Christ right now, Paul says, persevere, spur each other on. Spur, first priority, your family. What are you doing to persevere and lead your family to persevere in the faith? Number two, what are we doing in our church family, spurring each other on in the faith? And let's end as Paul ends here. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, your word 
And God, we are confident that you're using your word in our own lives. Um, You sanctify us. You make us more holy. You make us to hate our sin through your word, Lord. And I pray, God, as we heard your word uh, read, help us, Lord. Give us grace, God, to leave today just confident that our salvation is by grace alone and that we boast in the cross of Christ, Lord, and that we don't have to be timid, but we can boast because it is by Jesus Christ alone that we're saved. We have peace with God. We can leave knowing that God's not angry with us because of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to wake up each morning getting ready for the fight and the lies from from the devil and his, his minions. Lord, give us grace. Lord, we are beggars of grace and we continue to beg for grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control. God, give us wisdom as we go throughout uh, today, tomorrow, this week. With the situation at hand, give us wisdom. Lord, give us uh, give us love for our neighbors that may need help with anything. Help us to, to have an opportunity to share the love of Christ. Lord, may you open up opportunities to share the gospel in our families, in our work, in our schools, Lord. Lord, thank you, God, for being with us. And God, thank you as I look in my own life of uh, the, the sin that I do. Thank you, Lord that you will never forsake us because it's never been about me. It's been about Jesus Christ. Amen.